0: This is the University Seventh Day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today, and may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our featured sermon. It's so good to see new faces here this morning. Some old friends coming back too, and I guess it's one of those Sabbaths where some of our members go hopping around. I was told. <laughs> Um, have you noticed that? I mean, everybody hops in Orlando. I don't know. <laughs> I think that should be a prerequisite to live in Central Florida. Be willing to hop churches on the weekend, right? Um, anyway, <laughs> but so good to see you here. Uh, and I'm glad the Lord brought you here. And so we're going to share right from his word. Um, you know, that verse that we just read uh, in the scripture reading, turn with me to James chapter 4, verse um 17, and of course, James, by the way, so most of you know that the scriptures we're reading, especially the letters of the New Testament, we're, reading for, uh, we're, were written for church people, right? Amen? So these are people that are supposed to have a walk with God, people that are trying to follow Jesus, and, and for, it, it's for encouragement to them, it's for building uh, of their relationship with Christ, and so is guidance and encouragement from the writers of the New Testament to the churches. And so this is what um, James writes to the church. He says, Therefore, to, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him is what? It is sin. Now, let's be honest for a moment. How many of us know more than what we actually get to do. Hello? How much of what you know about Christ and what you know about the Scripture, how much of that, that you know already, you actually practice in your daily life? See, because a lot of us think, and, and we think that Christianity is about avoiding the big sins, right? Just like the world out there where we, we don't do all those things, and so we try to avoid the big sins, and so we think that to follow Christ is to avoid these wrong things that everybody else is doing, maybe read this Bible a couple of weeks, a couple of times a week, or a couple of weeks through the year, whatever you think it is, and, 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 and so that should be enough, but James says that if you know what to do, and you know what is good, and you don't get to do it, he says that is what? That is wrong, that is sinful, Amen. So it's clear, and let me say this again, and I think I've said this before to you, but let me remind you, the problem with us, Christian, with Christianity today, and by the way, this is something that is not just Alone for Seventh-day Adventism, this is not a challenge just for the church, for the Seventh-day Adventist church. Even though this is the tribe that we belong, right? We Seventh-day Adventists, Amen. And some of you know are familiar with the Seventh-day Adventist church from back. You grew up in it, or your family grew up, and, and, and so you have some knowledge of the Seventh-day Adventist church. But this is a challenge that the church is facing today because it seems to be that there is this sense of uh, complacency where we just are 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 satisfied with the status quo. We're satisfied with doing the minimum to be called or to allow ourselves to, call, to be called Christians and to claim that we follow Jesus Christ and that we serve him. Now, I know that you're here this morning because we've been praying for you. We've been praying for those who will come and church members specifically because I know some of you are church members. Some of you that are new faces, we, we've been praying for you too because we pray for everyone that the Lord will bring and will bring back, will bring uh, for the first time. Because wherever you are in your Christian walk with God, I, could, I know this, and thinking about my own Christian walk, there are things that you know you need to be doing that you're not doing in your walk with God. Now, it's interesting. I want to give you the context of this James chapter 4. Because James, and, and if you read the, the subtitles there, which, by the way, in the original, there was no titles or subtitles. So it's, 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 uh, it's just a long letter and there's no divisions, paragraphs. But for our convenience, those who canonized the scripture, they divided it. And among those titles that they put, they said things to avoid. The chapter 4 begins with things to what? To avoid and this is if you have a, a just a conventional a copy of the scripture and he talks he begins that chapter by saying that what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source is not the source your pleasure that wage war against your members you lost and do have and do not have so you commit murder you have You are envious and cannot obtain. I'm reading from verse 1, 2. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on the pleasures. You adulterers, uh, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world, and listen to this, is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of what of god now he begins this chapter and 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 you know the letter continues and 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 kind of contextualizes what james is trying to talk about to us one of the biggest issues why we end up doing or we don't do enough of what we know we should be doing right and again i'm, I'm asking you to be sincerely honest with yourself you don't have to raise your hand you don't even have to answer this question but there are things of god There are principles and commitments there are things that you need to be following today that you know of that perhaps you are falling short and John and James says that the reason for that he says is because we have become friends with whom with the world now there's a danger because there's a danger here and there is kind of a fine line I want to talk about that fine line how do we know when we are we're taking, we're taking it too far because on the one hand, we need to be friends with the world so that we bring the world to Christ. Amen? You follow that? Right? So if, if, you, if your job and if your mission, like my mission, is to bring the world to Christ, that means that you need to be friends with the world. That means that somehow you need to know who are out there. You need to have friends in the world, right? But in that desire to be friends with the world, with those who are out there, There's a difference between being friends with the world, with those out there, and being friends of the world, right? It seems to be difficult, and and, and again, being honest, being kind of transparent here, today it seems that for the Christian it is most difficult to differentiate where that line is, where we become friends of the world instead of being friends with the world to save them you see there's a purpose there because we become friends with the world to save those who are in the world but we become of the world and he says because there are things that we're still struggling with right he says that, and he talks about the, the, the church, and by the way, he's talking about the church, that there's squirrels among, among the church. By the way, if you're a guest, if you're a friend, and, and you're coming to the church for the first time, I want to tell you that the church is not perfect, right? And I know some people come to the church expecting to see perfect people and when they don't see that they get discouraged and they begin to say oh well I don't need to go to church if nobody there is just the same as being in the world well the truth is that the church is not perfect because the same struggles that the world faces are the struggles that are in our flesh right and so he's saying there are quarrels there's people in the church arguing and and bickering and, and and conflict among the church and and he says the reason for that is because we is still have become and we have become too friendly with the world of the world now this is interesting because today if if we follow the line of thought that james is talking about and in the new testament we find that if you follow jesus christ you are in the world but you're not of this world right he has sent us into the world and by the way, that's because there's a mission that you and I have, and, and, and this is a mission to share Christ and to serve God in the world, bring them to Christ, grow His kingdom, and whatever we are, we're supposed to be, that's our mission, that's our focus, that's the main purpose why we're here. And, but he says, and James recognizes that some of us, he says, we're just too friendly with the world, And he says, and the danger, he says, because therefore, uh, he says, uh, you, uh, well, I want to read. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world. The last part of verse um, 4 says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself a what? An enemy of God. Now, the reality is, and, 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 and I, wanna, I want us to turn from here. It's interesting, but I want, to, I want us to spend the last few minutes in a story that... This is the story that I, st- I started reading this week. And, and, and really, I have... I think this illustrates the difference of those who are friends of the world as opposed to those who are friends with the world. Which, again, those who are friends with the world, are they have a purpose in mind, right? You see the difference? Let me, let, let me explain that again. If you are friends with the world... That means that you have a purpose for having friends and being friendly with the world. And your purpose is? Anybody? Okay, one at a time. Anybody? I heard somebody out here. To witness, spreading the gospel. And again, that's our mission. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? And if all of us will understand that, I want to tell you this, that all of you will have a friend here this morning at church this morning. Hello? Right? Right? If we really live that out, that means that you will, and now I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting you on the spot, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is that the purpose of us being friends with the world is bringing those to Christ. But when we become friends of the world, and again, there is this danger, there's this danger that we may walk the line or pass that line, that limit when we become, instead of friends with the world, we become friends of the world. He says... There's a difference, and, and I, want you, I want you to turn with me to First Samuel, and we're going to read quickly, and, and I'm going to just give you highlights, and, and by the way, uh, I don't know if, if you ever thought of this story, but it's interesting. In chapter 14, remember First Samuel chapter 14, right? Jonathan. Jonathan, who is the son of whom? Anybody knows? Saul, right, the king. And Saul had just been proclaimed king just in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, just a few chapters before. He just started his, 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 his reign. And Jonathan is given a special victory, a tremendous victory. And then verse 14, I don't know if... And, and just for the purpose of this story, we're not going to read every detail, but I'm going to highlight some things for you because you're going to go back home and since you are just so studious of the, world, or the Word of God, right, and you just just don't take my word for it, you're going to go back and you're going to spend time and say, let me see if was right. Even you try to prove me wrong, that's okay. You can go back home and dig into it because this is the story is when Jonathan um, decides on that day, I remember that the Philistines in chapter 13 are encamped against the um the israelites and by the way this is the second war the second challenge that saul has as king right he has already defeated the Ammonites, and he has done tremendously. I mean, God used him, and he was filled with his power, and he started, he was anointed king, he was recognized, and so now he's the king. But this is the second instance, by the way, where he, again, the, with the Ammonites, he was already used by God, and he delivered the people in such a mighty way that they knew that God was with him. And the king was confirmed in chapter 14, uh, chapter 3:12. 12. And so, but there's something that happens, and listen to me. Um, in, in chapter 12, 1 first first Samuel chapter 12, God tells something to the people of Israel. He he reminds them, and sa- using Samuel, he says, that the people of God forgot that the Lord their God that forgot the Lord their God. And I'm reading verse 9, where he first mentions this. Actually becomes it comes from the previous chapter, but I just want to highlight so that you know what the theme is of those chapters. God accuses through Samuel that the people forgot God, the Lord, the God. And so he sold them into the hand of, of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor. And then he says that they serve Baals and they serve other gods in verse uh, uh, 10 and verse 11. But then the Lord sent deliverance to them and he brought him back and rescued them from there. So there is a danger. And by the way, there is always a danger of the people of God. Even though they're trying to follow God and trying to serve God, and even though they're the chosen people of God, there's always the danger that we follow other gods, right? Now, this is just, it's human nature, and this is what the people of Israel were dealing with, and this is some of the reasons why they went into slavery, and God gave them and, and, and didn't deliver them. But now, he is confirming the kinship in chapter 12, in chapter 12, verse 12, and then he says, But... But um, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Listen to this now. Because God highlights that the people of Israel, now God has been their God all along, Right? As a matter of fact, he's been, it wasn't a kinship, it was a theocracy. God was the one in charge, and he was the king, he was the Lord, he was the source, and he had just delivered them from everything that they've been through. He brought them to the promised land. He first took them through Moses from Egypt, took them out. Now they're here, they're occupying this land. But they wanted a king, an earthly king. And why did they want a king? You get Anybody has any idea? Because everybody else was doing it right, because it was the norm, because it was the way the world worked, and so they thought, well, we want a king too, and he said this, he, he, he said, you forgot that I was your God, that I was your king, and then listen to this, in verse, uh, um, moving forward a little bit here, verse 17, he says, then you will know and see that, he says, your wickedness is great, is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves, what? A king. So, he reminds Israel... That because they got so accustomed to the context there, because, again, they, they had the same mission that we have in many ways. And by the way, their mission now is transferred to us. They were supposed to be there, to be led by God, to be in tune with God to the point, to the way that they will bring the world to God and so God was going to bless them and bless the nations around them but they were going to know God by the way that God worked around in their lives in the people of Israel and they will be attracted to God and so the name of God the true God will be preserved and will be highlighted and exalted and people will want to come and become part of the people of God and so this is how the world will know that God was the only God because he was acting and working and transforming and leading his people but when these people started working in the they thought, well, you know what? We want to be just like everybody else. And this is again when we as Christians begin to be not so clear where that line is in becoming friends with the world, being friends with the world, as being friends of the world. And then he says, um, moreover, verse 23 well, and, and then just a few verses before, the Lord rem, remember, reminds them of this. And by the way, this is God's grace. And this is why we talked about his faithfulness. This is why we know his faithfulness, right? Because even though we might not be as faithful all the time, this is what the Lord does. Verse 22, for the Lord will not abandon his people on account of what? Of his great name. So even though we might fall and we might Get too friendly with the world. The the Lord says he will not abandon his people. Why? Hello, we just read it. On account of his name. So it has nothing to do with you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And he's trying to lead your life. But he will not abandon you because of his name. If he leaves you out, if he abandons you, then it's a question on his name, on his faithfulness. And let me tell you, God will never do that. Amen? Amen? We, God does not abandon us, listen to this, we abandon God, and you know that? And he says, and the reason for that is because it's in his nature, there's no abandon you, but we do abandon him. And when that line between worldliness, between being friends with the world and being friends of the world gets fussy even though we may abandon god at those times and begin to have our priorities mixed up god does not abandon us and i want to say praise god for his faithfulness amen this is the reason why you and i are here still today because god is faithful to his people all the time but then that question that and this was what makes a difference in chapter 13 by the way, right then, um, they are facing the Philistines, Philistines, right? And it said that, uh, it talks about uh, Saul. He was how many years old? 30, 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 42 years over Israel. And it gives a context where Saul brings his men, and there's a good number of people, of, of men with him. Now, the Philistines, in verse 5, assembled to fight with Israel. And how many were there? 30,000 chariots and 6,000. If you, if you compare the numbers, there was a lot more Philistines than there were. What? Israelites there. And they're facing. To the point that, listen to what happens next. Because when the men of Israel, verse 6, when the men of Israel saw that they were, that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, what did they do? The people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. So listen, God, and, and this, is, this is when we have lose sight of who a God is, and, 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 and I think the greatest danger that we have, listen to this, is to get, take God for granted for who he is. But don't, before, before you say amen, think about this. Do you realize that the God, and I don't know, I I think because we're so familiar with it, because it's in Scripture, because it's everywhere, and because we've been following God, and some of you have been following God for years, right? Some of us have been following God for maybe not that long, but you know who God is. And do you know that the God who created it all, not only created it, but the God who sustains it all, the one that you and I are not even worthy or even able to see face to face because if we will see Him today, you and I will die. The God who is so great that listen, you cannot understand the, the enormity, the greatness of God. You and I could only have a glimpse as we look at nature, as we understand God, as we look at Jesus Christ. But the truth is that for you and I to know how God how great God is is like you trying to pour the whole see into a little cup of water. So God God is bigger than you and I can even think of imagine. And that God, who is greater than anyone and anything that you could think of He, the source of everything that you are and everything that you need, and the one who loves you greater than you think or you even have felt love, he wants to be part of your life, and he wants to be your king, and he wants to lead you. And do you know that sometimes we forget how great he is and what he wants to do in our lives, which is what happened to the Israelites. Because they've seen God working, because they've been studying about God, because they've been following him. He took him from Egypt, and he brought him here. And they got so familiar with God that they took this God for granted, the true God, the only God worthy to be praised. They took him for granted and They said, you know what? We don't want God leading anymore. We want one man to lead us just like everybody else because they've taken for granted how great this God was. Now, I don't know about you, but the truth is that we could get so caught up in the media, we get so caught up in the news and everything that's going on around us and even our families, our little world, and we forget that God is our God, is our King, and He wants to lead every step of our lives, every moment, every, every second that He loves us so much that He not only saying His Son to die for you, which is great enough, right, amen? It's the greatest thing anybody could ever done for you. <laughs> no, come on. You don't sound convinced. So we, we forget that this awesome God who sent his only son to die for you, who, by the way, did not deserve it, of me. And we just take it for granted. But if we would only for a moment, pause to wonder... And let me tell you, I think next time, next time you go to pray, just shut up for a moment in the, in the presence of God. Next time you come to pray to God, just for a moment, be still and know He is God. Because we got so many things, so we think that we understand God, that we know about God, that we love God, and we got so many things to tell God, so many requests, so many needs that we have. By the way, your needs, He already knows them, and He's already working on those things, just not patient enough. And by the way, let's get to it, because this is where I want to finish, and there's there's so much that I don't want to get sidetracked, which I already have, but too late for that. But listen to this, because... And and we're going to finish with the the question that I have for you as we wrap it up is, Jonathan goes ahead, he takes the initiative, and he gets this great victory, right? Remember chapter 14, and you could go back home, you're going to study this, and you say, "What, what is he talking about? Well, but Saul, just in chapter 13, he takes the initiative, and he gets punished. Why? Have you asked the question? Why? Why? I mean, the guy is just acting normally he's taking the initiative don't we talk about taking the initiative and being uh, proactive right and that we need to be proactive and take the initiative and step out in faith well Saul seems apparently he takes the initiative which by the way let me let me explain to you quickly those of you who don't know the story when Saul is there waiting and there's so many people and his people are scattering everybody's freaking everybody's just scared to death they they just don't know what to do they're shaking they're trembling and so he waited seven days, right? By, so this is the king, and God has just anointed him. He started his kinship, his reign, and God used him against the Ammonites, and God delivered them, and now he's here. He's supposed to wait for Samuel the prophet to come and ask God's blessing, God's intercession, but he waits for seven days, and according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So, by the way, Saul has waited seven days. It was supposed to be seven days. Simon didn't show up. So, it was in the right mind, if you and I are there, you and I probably do the same thing. Because he sees everybody scaring, everybody leaving. And, by the way, we can see when we see people dwindling and people going places and people leaving, you know, we get scared, right? What's going on? And this is, this is Saul. He's seeing that it's less people, so he got fearful and he forgot again who his god was right so the issue is that he acts out of fear because he forget who god is and so he says so he said bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offering and he offered the the burnt offering behold samuel came before i'm so yeah the offering and behold and samuel came and so went out to meet him and so he says hey by the way don't worry, I already took care of it, right, I already offered it, so thanks for coming, but I don't really need you anymore, and then, because, and he said, he explained it, hey, everybody was scared out of their minds, I waited seven days, you didn't show up, so I went ahead and did it, and by the way, he was not supposed to, because he was supposed to wait for the prophet, who was the one who was going to do this, and he was the one that God commanded him to do this, God didn't ask him to do this, but he forgot who his God was and he said, I'm going to take it up on myself and I'm going to do it. And so this is what happens because what does, what, what does Samuel tell him? Samuel said, what have you done? And so Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days. And that the Philistines were assembling at Micah. Therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. Notice, since when? It all became about Saul, right? He was there to represent whom? God. But he's lost perspective because now he thinks, because he's leading, oh, then I'm in charge. It's about me. (laughs) Hello? God is merciful, and he appointed him as king, but God was still leading his people. He was the one still in charge. Hello? But he says, he gets... Scare out of his mind like we do every time because when we face difficulty in our lives, I mean, be honest, we get human, we are human, and we think that this is about us, right? And we forget who our God is and that you and I are not here for us. We are serving a God. By the way, our life should be about worshiping, about growing, about love, and about serving God. If you could learn those four things and you could apply those on your life, that everything you do, again, is centering this, how great this God is. It's all about Him. It's not about you. But Saul says here, oh, well, uh, they're going to come against me. They were not coming against me. If they were going to come, they were supposed to come against whom? Against God and God's people, right? But he is wrapped up in his own perspective and his own ego. And he says, oh, they're going to come against me because things went from being God's agenda and God's purpose to my purpose and what I understand. And you know, sometimes even our own understanding of theology of God could get in the way of God's purpose for us. Because it becomes about how much I know, how much I do. And so Samuel said, "Now the Philistines will come down against." Uh, that's what he said. So I forced myself, and then Samuel said to him, "You have acted foolishly. you have not kept the commandment of the Lord our God." And so it tells him that the Lord has has, seeked, uh, has found somebody else to take his place. Now turn the page because in chapter 14, and you're going to see the difference here. And I'm just going to highlight these things, and then we're going to wrap it up with a song together because I want to give you the chance to respond to God's, the working that he's doing in, his li- in, in your life today. So, they're there. They're waiting. And, um, by the way, now that he was seeking, right, he, he couldn't wait for Samuel to show up. Now he, he's so scared that he can't even move forward. He was in such a hurry, right? But then the prophet came, and he already... Jumped the gun, right? He just do, ended up doing what he was supposed to be doing, but now he's afraid. He can't move on, and it's like you just can't move. Have, have you ever found yourself in that situation? Where you just don't know what to do because you know that you made a mistake, and you again, you've forgotten who your God is, and you don't understand who he is. And by the way, he says, and he was just reminded that God was not going to abandon his people because of what? Because of who his name, who he was. But then we have Jonathan who tells us how we should react or the perspective that we must have when trials and when we face our daily life. He says this. Um, well, i want going to start from verse um, 21. Then the, uh, so it came about at the day of the battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of the, of the people who were, verse 22, with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and his son, Jonathan. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. And so, listen. So, the Philistines are encamped, you know, with the battalions and, and the armies. They are there waiting. And now that they came, that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor. What did he tell him? Come and let us cross over to the Philistines. And I'm going to tell you a story so that you go back home and you... And you dig it out and, and really apply it to your life because again Saul was punished for going ahead and not waiting for God but now it was time to move and Jonathan is the only one who dares to even move he calls and he didn't call it big number he just called his arm armor bearer right the one who helps him the, the guy that was there in charge of his armor and he was with him he said by the way nobody's moving but we know that God wants us to move against his people right and again, he wasn't worried about him. He did not have any concern for him because if he would have had concern for him, he would have said, I'm not going to go by myself and you, right? He was concerned for his God and what was happening because if, if the people are hesitating, something was going to happen and it looked bad for the people of God. And so he said, come and let us cross over to the Philistines. And then he said, and listen to this, come and let us cross over the garrison um, of these uncircumcised. perhaps. And this is what he says in verse 6. Perhaps the Lord will work for us for the lord he says and this is this is how he expressed his faith in god and again he's not talking about himself he's not talking about his qualities he's not talking about whatever his motive is he's talking about his motives and his motives are this he says for the lord is not restrained to save by many or by few so listen to this because jonathan had the right perspective he knew it wasn't about him And it wasn't about how many were going to go forward, but somebody needed to move. And he said, listen, let's go because I know that my God could save either with many or with few. He's going to do it. If God wants to save somebody or, or, or resolve the situation, he's going to do it, Amen. So I don't know what you're facing today, but I got to tell you this. This is the perspective that we must have. Our God, your God, could do anything. And he could resolve and give you a way out and help you in the relationship that you're in. He will save by many or by few. God will save because it's about him. It's not about you. Amen. And so you know what happens. Because as as, as, as um, Jonathan goes on and exactly how he said it would happen. Hey, we're going to tell them, we'll show ourselves to them, and if they call us and say, come on over here, we've got to tell you something. Or if he calls us, then we'll go, because we know that God has given them to us, right? But if they say, stay there, and we come, we just stay there. So he didn't know, but he know that God, again, this is his statement, his vision statement was, my God could save, I know that my God could save by many, or by what, or by few. So his focus was on who God was, and he has not, he did not forget who his God was. He was this powerful God that he has seen work miracles before. He has delivered Israel. He had he grew up in the in, in the church, right? He grew up in the people of God. He know he knew what God was able to do. And so at this moment, difficult moment of his life. When he needs to make a decision and have the initiative, he says, my God could do anything. I'm just going to move forward, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to step up. And if God shows me a sign, I will move forward because I know that God is working in my life. And so you know what happens next, that he goes, and just as he said, it happened. And it was the greatest victory that follows because one man had the right focus of who God was. Now listen, the truth is that if you are like me, and if you're human, (laughs) right, which means every single one of you, little, all, or whoever you are, this is something that we know, right? This is something that you know. This is something that you believe in your heart and in your soul, and this is the reason why you're here. But the truth is that as we face daily life, it's just sometimes it's more difficult to do that which we know we should do and trust in the Lord and follow what He's leading us to do. Now, listen to this, because and I want to encourage you because the truth is that God will not abandon you or me. Amen. It's only until you turn, decide to turn your back to God that He can't work with you. And even, even in those moments when you turn your back to God, he still will try to work circumstances and try to call you back. And he still try to reach out to you. And Peter, uh, Peter talks about that, that God has not come yet because he's waiting that everyone will what? Will proceed to repentance, that everyone will believe. He, he wants that everyone will follow him, right? That's his heart. He wants to, to bless you and to guide you. So even when we turn our back on him, he's still faithful and he will not leave us. But you and I need to begin to... Keep the right perspective, the right emphasis in our lives and recognize today at this moment that if perhaps your vision has been not so clear and you've been focusing on the wrong set of circumstances, you've been focusing on the wrong person, on yourself, on your family, on your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your children, whoever you're focusing on, or even your church sometimes, remember we need to focus on God, who He is, And so if we keep this, we will will experience him and he will give us victory. And then you know what you need to do and move in faith and have the initiative to move forward, right? Because he wants you to experience his victory. Amen? I mean, Christ didn't come so that you may have a mediocre life. He came so that you could have what? Life and life in abundance. Yes, we're growing. Uh, We're growing and we want to, to use our lives to serve God and to reach that goal that he wants us to do.